Would you put your hands together one time and welcome my wife? Happy Easter, Everyday Church. You guys do look good. Angie was right. You guys look really good. We have a good-looking church. Listen, I am just so excited um, to share a message with you today and also to share it with our guests watching online, too. And, you know, for the past two years for Easter, we have had an Easter drama and um, our Easter dramas featured Peter, which uh, was played by my husband. And it's a tough act to follow, for sure, because that was like a big deal. Everybody loved it. And Randy told me that if anyone asked why I wasn't doing a drama this year, to tell them that I deal with enough drama living with him. <laughs> and he really told me to say that. And I told him, when he told me that, I was like, I cannot say that. That is a Randy joke. I was like, that's too mean to come out of my mouth, even if it is a little bit true. I can't say things like that. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but listen, I just want to take a second to honor him. We have an amazing pastor, don't we? <laughs> and who he is behind the pulpit is who he is outside of the walls of this building. And that's rare. Unfortunately, that's a rare thing in a lot of churches. He is just the real deal. And what I love about him as a pastor in leadership is that he has a way of making us feel like we're all on this Jesus journey together and that we can never catch up or measure up. We're all just everyday people learning and growing and figuring out life together and the way he leads us with authenticity is truly a gift and I'm so thankful for him not only as my husband but as our pastor so thank you for letting me speak today let's just give him give it up for him for a second <laughs> I want to share a message with you today called wanted and just to give you a little background knowledge about where this message came from, it was a few weeks ago that I was able to be in service, which a lot of you know, a lot of times I'm back with the kids, which is a good time, by the way. They're a ton of fun. Um, but I was able to be in service, and um, I was just worshiping God. You know, it was good. I was happy to, to be in here and just kind of sit in His presence and just to receive instead of give. And um, during worship, Randy was just singing spontaneously as he was leading us. And as he was singing, at one point, he was saying, we need you, Jesus. And then uh, we were continuing to sing. And then at some point, he uh, switched his wording. And instead of saying, we need you, Jesus, he was saying, we want you, Jesus. And it caught my attention when he switched from we need you to we want you. And immediately God said to me, he said, I know you need me and you know that you need me, but do you want me? And I have to tell you that the question caught me off guard. And I started to think about how when I was a teacher and and I taught social studies in school, how we would teach about needs and wants and how needs represented necessities and wants were our desires, how an individual's needs 
we're limited, but once we're unlimited. And in this moment of God asking me this question, I just started to think about the basic needs in my own life and how I need to exercise, but I don't always want to. And how I need to eat healthy, but I love gluten and I love a lot of foods that aren't green. And so I don't always want to. How I need to put gas in my car, but I don't always want to. How I need to wake up to an alarm almost every day, but I never ever want to. (laughs) I want to wake up naturally. Who else likes to wake up naturally in the room? Okay, I'm glad I'm not the only one. And then I just started to think about needs and wants in regards to my relationship with him, because this was an important question that he was asking me. And I was thinking about how I need to read his word, but do I want to? Because this is what he was asking me. I need to pray, but do I want to? I need to surrender things to him, maybe habits or circumstances or relationships or situations, but do I want to? I need to go to church, but do I want to? I need relationship and friendship with him, but do I want it? Does my daily life reflect just needing him, or does it show that I want him too? And I know that we have a lot of parents in the room, and I'm sure many watching online as well. And most of you know um, that in our family, we have a blended family with four kids, with ages ranging from 4 to 23. That's a big range, right? It's awesome. Um, And our kids, they need us. When they're sick, they need us. When they're hungry, our 23-year-old, he can put down some food, they need us. When they play sports or they participate in extracurricular activities or hobbies that take all of your money, they need us, right? And so we... We do it. We provide for them. We give them what they need because it's our responsibility as parents to take care of them. But there, is also, there are also times when they want us, when they run up to us and give us an unexpected hug. Isn't that the best? When they want to spend time with you, especially if you have teenage or adult children, that's a big deal when they want to spend time with you when they ask you to lay next to them before bed and they tell you about their day, when they pick you flowers or sometimes weeds that look like flowers, (laughs) bees are flying all around it, and they want you to put it behind your ear because it's pretty. They want, they want us. And there's a difference between being needed and knowing that you're wanted. It feels good to be wanted for who you are and not just for, who, for what you have or what you can provide. It's more intimate. It draws you in and makes you feel loved and valued. And God desires this type of relationship with you and I. He doesn't just want us to need him. He wants to be wanted too. You know, when we read about the life of Jesus in the four Gospels, it's evident that he was a wanted man. And he was wanted for different reasons. He had followers that would come in great multitudes because they wanted 
to hear him speak. They wanted to be prayed over and to see miracles and signs and wonders. Many of the people who followed Jesus did so because they had urgent needs that he alone could meet. And it's okay to have needs. We're going to. We do need Jesus. They wanted him out of a place of desperation to meet those needs. And others, like his disciples, had a deeper following and relationship with him. They sacrificed to be with him. They believed he was the Messiah, and they had the privilege of walking and talking with Jesus in human form on earth daily. They desired to be in his presence. And then Jesus was also wanted for an entirely different reason. He was wanted as a criminal. And through the betrayal of one of his own disciples, those of you who know the story know that Jesus leads a group, I mean, sorry, Judas leads a group of armed soldiers and some officials from the chief priests to the Garden of Gethsemane to arrest Jesus. And there they find him after Judas identifies him with a kiss, and they came to arrest him. And I'm going to read. Um, a passage that talks about what's going on. This is kind of the setup for what's happening in John 18, verses 4 through 9. It says, Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, this is, asked, this is as they are coming to arrest him, he said, who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. And Judas the traitor was standing there with them. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. This was an act of the power of God, of the power of Jesus. Again, he asked them, who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they said. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. If you are looking for me, then let these men, he's talking about the disciples that were with him, let these men go. This happened so that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. He was wanted as a criminal and taken into custody as Jesus of Nazareth. And then in John chapters 18 through 19, it takes us through the trials that Jesus goes through, both under Jewish and Roman law. And all these trials he was going through were under the accusation of being king of the Jews, of being the son of God. He was being tried and accused of being exactly who he was, but who they didn't believe him to be. And so it's decided by the Roman governor, Pilate, that Jesus will be put to death through crucifixion, not because it's what Pilate wanted. He actually found no reason to sentence him to this brutal death, but it was because it's what the Jews wanted. And in John chapter 19, verses 1 through 16, I want to read to you what takes place. It says, Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns, and they put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again, saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and they slapped him in the face. They're saying it as an insult to him. Once more, Pilate came out and said to the Jews gathered there, Look, I am bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis, no reason for a charge against him. 
When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, Here is the man. As soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, Crucify! Crucify! But Pilate answered, You take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. The Jewish leaders insisted, We have a law, and according to that law, he must die, because he claimed to be the Son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid. And he went back inside the palace. He comes up to Jesus and he says, where do you come from? He asked Jesus, but Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me, Pilate said? Don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? Jesus answered, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jewish leaders just kept shouting, If you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat, down on the judges, and sat him down on the judge's seat at a place known as the Stone Pavement. It was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about noon. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king, Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priest answered. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. If you skip down to verse 19 in this chapter, it said Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city and the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, do not write king of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be king of the Jews. They did not like what the sign said. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. And he didn't change it. Even as Jesus was faced with being charged and put to death as a criminal, who he was could not be altered or changed. His kingship was unalterable. It was undeniable. It was posted on the cross and unknowingly revealed his true identity to people who didn't believe in him. What was meant to mock him, thought to be who he falsely was, was actually who he was. What was meant to dethrone him actually seated him on the throne. Jesus, King of the Jews, it was no accident that these words were written above him on the cross. The title of king is significant. The title of king comes with privileges Kings are honored, they are reverenced, they are exalted and adored. They have a position of power and authority and influence. In this act of sacrificial love, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, established himself as the King of Jews and the King of Kings for all mankind. He died a king who was mistreated, severely beaten, a king who was mocked and made fun of, and he rose a king of victory. 
And as I reflect on this great Easter story and all that he's done for us, and I remember what he's conquered for us, it reminds me that he should be the king of my life. And I want to ask you this morning, is he the king of your life? Do you want him? Because the chosen one of God wants us to choose him too. He is desirous of relationship with us. What is stopping you and I from pursuing him with everything that we have? It's important to identify the strongholds in our lives that are preventing us from chasing after him in full pursuit. I don't know about you, but I'm not satisfied with living a mediocre Christian life, a life where I'm just going through the motions, the ups and the downs, where I'm not making time for the one who loves me most, where I'm stagnant and I'm not moving forward, where I'm living in chaos with no direction, where it feels like life is a ride that is spinning round and round out of control, and no matter how hard you try, you feel like you can't get off the ride. We were meant to live for more than that, and yet so many of us stay there. Jesus didn't die for everything wrong we would ever do so that we could live without him. He died so that we could live with him for all of eternity. And when sin came on the scene in the garden in Genesis chapter 3, it separated us from God. God didn't want us to be separated from him. He sent Jesus to bear the cross to forgive us and bring us back to God. He died for you and for me so that we could have full access to the Father. He died so we could have everything through him. Do we live our lives in a way that shows that we desire the access we have to him. We have to understand that we have an all-access pass to God, and so many of us don't even use it. We disregard it. It's inconvenient. God has more for us than convenient Christianity where we, all, all, where we only call on him when we need something. And he doesn't want us to just choose him once at salvation. He wants us to choose him daily, over and over and over and over again. In fact, the word of God urges us to draw near to him. James 4 verse 8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. John 4.23 says, But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. He's looking for people who want to be in His presence. Jeremiah 29.13 says, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. He wants us to draw near to Him to worship him and to seek his face, but do we want to? Are we living a life of dwelling in his presence? Or are we walking around trying to figure it all out on our own while simultaneously being frustrated that we can't feel him near like it's his fault? We need him. 
We know we need him. He knows we need him. But do we want him too? You know, as I was thinking about wanting him, God brought me back to this memory where I was at a women's conference a a long time ago, probably about 12 years ago. And while I was there, God God just really moved. And I experienced his presence like I never had before. This conference lasted a few days, and I think it was during night two of the conference, the speaker was preaching, and she was preaching hard. I don't remember what she was preaching about, but I remember that she was preaching with everything that was in her. I don't know how to explain it other than she was preaching with her whole body. In fact, she started off looking real cute and put together with her little cute dress on. She like designed her own clothes, so it was extra cute because it was you know custom, one of a kind. And by the end of the night, she was a mess and had preached herself to the ground. She preached until she had nothing left to give. And I'd never seen anybody preach like that. So as I'm sitting there and she's speaking and I'm listening, I was drawn to her passion for Jesus. It captivated me. It wasn't her, even though I thought she was amazing. But it was the Jesus in her that caught my attention. And as I was sitting, listening to her sermon, something really strange happened that had never happened to me before. I had this urge to get out of my seat and run to the front. Now, anyone who knows me knows that I'm not the type to just get up and start running. (laughs) Not in the middle of a sermon. It wasn't time for the altar yet. And certainly not in a room full of thousands of women. And so I'm sitting there, and I have this this strange urge. And I just kept sitting there, and I was just trying to suppress it. (laughs) Push it down, push it down. Don't run, don't run. And I was getting wiggly in my chair. (laughs) And I felt like I could not physically sit down. Like I wasn't going to have control over my body. And so my stepmom, my bonus mom, she was sitting next to me. She can see I'm like moving all over the place. And I look at her, and I was like, I think I'm about to run. She's like, what? I'm like, let me tell you about it. I feel like I should warn her for some reason. And I was just feeling so desperate for Jesus. Like, I couldn't wait until the altar call to get to the altar. I just felt like I had to get there right then. But at the same time, I was giving God every excuse that you can think of to not go. I told him people would think I was crazy. I told him it wasn't the right time. It's not altar time, God. We can't go down there yet. I told him it would cause a scene and disrupt the service. I didn't want them to kick me out. I was having like this big internal battle of, I can't go because I'm worried what everyone else will think. And I have to go because I want more of Jesus. This internal conflict was just rising up in me until I couldn't take it anymore. And finally, after I surrendered this battle that was going on in my mind, I stood up and I ran. (laughs) And I didn't speed walk or jog. I am telling you, I ran as fast as I could to the altar. 
And you know what's so crazy? Is that just before I got there, I turned around. For some reason, I turned around. Maybe to see if anyone was going to chase me. Security. <laughs> Security. Um, I turned around to look behind me, and I couldn't believe what I saw. Because when I turned, there were hundreds of other women out of their seats, and they were running too. I don't know if my obedience triggered obedience in others, or if God was drawing us all in simultaneously. All I knew was that I wanted him, and I couldn't wait another moment to encounter him. And let me tell you, God moved in a mighty way that day. He met us there, and we didn't have to wait until the altar call for him to meet us. He met me as soon as I got there. His presence was so tangible. People were being slain in the spirit all over the room without anyone ever touching them or praying over them. The presence of God was so thick, you could hardly stand or sit, in my case, as I was running. There was a desperation in the room, a deep hunger for him. We wanted him. And you know, the enemy fights you and I so hard, just like he did with me when I was having my little internal conflict in my seat for a little bit. He fights us so hard because he doesn't want us to encounter and experience the presence of God. But, he, but it's also because he doesn't want others to recognize Jesus in us and experience it too. The enemy knows that your passionate pursuit of Jesus will fuel a fire that will ignite a passion for Jesus and others around you. It's not just about you. It's so much more than that. And passionate pursuit doesn't happen without wanting him. We have to want him. I mean, really, really want him. Not just because of what he can do for us, but because of who he is. You know, when I want something, I go after it. When I want Chick-fil-A, Jesus chicken and sweet tea, I get in my car and I go after it. I chase it down. <laughs> I abide in its presence. <laughs> and it abides in me. <laughs> I'm just kidding. We have to want him. Are you in pursuit of the king? When God put this message on my heart and he was asking me, Katie, I know you need me, but do you want me? I had to get real with myself. <laughs> and I was like, well, God, like, I think I do. I try to. But the truth is, I was only pursuing him partially, not wholeheartedly. I was pursuing him comfortably. I was pursuing him on my timeline and not his. I was pursuing him sometimes, but not daily. I was pursuing him when I needed him but not always because I wanted him. And it was a reality check for me. And he had to remind me that he wants to be wanted too. 
And at first I thought it was a message just for me. You know, he was dealing with me. And as I was sharing, um, I'm careful what I share with Randy because he, you know, he'll be like, oh, you need to preach about that. And that's exactly what happened in the situation. <laughs> that day that God spoke to me, I came home and I was like, you know, God, God spoke something to me during service. And I, like, when I sat down, I put it all on my phone because I didn't want to forget it. I was like, I really like, feel like it's important. And he's like, yeah, you should preach about that on Easter. I was like, oh, that's like three weeks away. Great. <laughs> I think it's a question we all need to ask ourselves. Do we want him? I do want him. I want to want him not just because his word says that he's good and because it talks about all the good things he does. I want him because he is good. I want him because I'm desperate for him. I want him because I'm lost without him. I want him because he is the King of kings and Lord of lords. I want him because he's my everything. I want him because he's the Prince of Peace. I want him because he saved me. I want him because he's full of compassion. I want him because he's a good father. I want him because he is love. I want him because he is holy and merciful. I want him because he is faithful and full of grace. I want him because he loved me when I was unlovable. I want him because he healed me when I thought my heart was too broken to be healed. I want him because he's a great restorer. I want him because I want to be more like him. I want him because nothing else compares to him. I want him because I want to lead others to him. I want him because I want my children to want him. I want him because all my hope is found in him. I want him because he's victorious. I want him because he calls me friend and I want to be his friend too. I want him because I'm tired of feeling like the GPS of my life is destination unknown. I want it to be known that my destination is in full pursuit of Jesus. That where he goes, I will follow. We need to take the all excess pass that we were given at salvation and use it to encounter the fullness of God. And you might say, well, how do we do it? We have to get in his presence daily. Give us this day our daily bread. I think sometimes we want quick access to God's presence like it's some kind of fast food service. We get our quick fix at church, but we don't want to put in the daily work it takes to have an intimate relationship with Jesus. For those of you who are married or have been married or those who are dating or have been in a dating relationship, you know that the relationship takes work. There are seasons when the work is light and there are seasons when it's heavy. And if you're the only one putting in all the work, then chances are you are feeling separation and disconnection from your significant other. The same is true with our relationship with God. 
We act like it's an inconvenience to spend time with Him and build relationship with Him. It takes discipline and practice. His presence is so far beyond just meeting Him in this house. We're supposed to carry it with us outside of the church. I love this quote from author and theologian R. Allen Wood. It's so simple, but so true. It says, it takes practice to become proficient at something. Practicing the presence of God will make us good at it. Adrian, you can come. If we never do it, we'll never get good at it. There's no secret recipe or a long list of instructions, no seven-step plan on how to do it. In fact, the principles are the same that many of us have heard since we've been saved, but we are still struggling to apply to our lives daily. Pray, read his word, worship him, repeat. Pray, read his word, worship him, repeat. Pray, read his word, worship him, repeat. Every day. We have to make an intentional effort to pursue an intimate relationship with him. We need to be in his presence. That's where you'll find him. That's where he'll meet you. A moment in God's presence can change everything. Do you know what heaven's going to look like? It's going to look like being in his presence all day, every day. That's what we're going to be doing. We're going to be sitting in his presence. It's going to be a continuous time in his presence. It's going to be worshiping the king for who he is. Do you want him? today? Is he the king of your life? Do you want more than just convenient Christianity? I know I do. with everything that you have wholeheartedly not one foot in one foot out that's lukewarm and revelation tells us that's a dangerous place to be do you want him with everything that you have he showed us on the cross he wants us with everything that he has he didn't even know if we were going to want him back he did it anyway God, I pray, Lord. God, I just pray for a supernatural desire for more of you. God, I pray, Lord, that we would just want to pursue you fully like we never have before. God, I pray we would chase after you with everything that we have. Awaken our hearts, Jesus. 
Awaken our hearts for you. Remind us of why we came to you in the first place. Remind us of the big love you have for us. God, we want you. We need you, but we want you. like me and this message was for me God always has to do a big work in my heart before I can deliver a message he's still bringing me through it and if you're feeling like hey maybe I don't want him like I thought I did maybe I'm not fully pursuing him like me I just want you to come down here this morning if you want prayer I'm happy to pray for you but you can get to him without me praying for you. You don't, you don't need me to do that, even though I'm, I'm happy to, more than happy to. Do you want him because you want him? Not because I'm praying for you, telling you that you should want him. I'm gonna have Adrian play. And if you just want to pursue him in a new way, in a fresh way, in a way so different than you ever have before, in a way that's not complacent, then I want to invite you to come down. God, even now, Lord, even now as people are sitting in their seats, God, start stirring the desire. Start stirring the desire, Jesus desiring more of your presence, desiring to know who you really are, desiring a deeper relationship with you. God, we want more. God, I'm not satisfied with where I'm at. God, may we never be satisfied with where we're at. May we always want more of you, God. May we always May we always want you Jesus. Pastor Randy and the entire staff at Everyday Church, we'd like to thank you for joining us today. For more information on the church, please visit us at everydaychurch.xyz. 
Thank you.